people sitting in the front row and also all the other rows too. But it's always fun when uh, you know there are some people who are going to graciously laugh at all your ridiculous jokes and they're there. You're like, yes. All right. But praise the Lord. We're here to worship him on another Sunday morning. My name is Jeremy. I'm delighted that you're here, you're here to worship with us as well. If you haven't been here in a while, uh, welcome back if it's your first time. We're so glad to have you. What we've been doing is uh, beginning the fall with a new series in a letter uh, that was written a long time ago to some people in the country of Turkey. That uh, country back then, that province, was called Galatia. And there were a bunch of new churches starting out, and they didn't really know what they were doing, and everything was kind of a mess. And that is an encouragement to me. And I'm hoping that that's an encouragement to you as well. Um, A lot of times I think we think of the churches and we think of pastors and we're supposed to come in and wear our suits and ties and look pretty and nice, have everything just right. And we pretend and we try sometimes and it's all below the surface and fake. But then at the end of the day, when you read the New Testament, you see, wow, these people were really a mess. (laughs) And that's an encouragement because guess what? We are too, right? Amen. All right, here we are. So previously on Lost, or previously in Galatians, thank you front row, appreciate that. (laughs) Previously in Galatians, uh, we looked through a couple different chapters, the first two chapters. Chapter one was basically the Apostle Paul establishing the source of his authority. He's writing these new churches, and they're like, who are you? Where is this coming from? Who made you whatever? And Paul's answer is Jesus. You know, who made me whatever? Christ himself. And so early on, he establishes his divine authority. He is an apostle. This is not like he is a pastor or he is a super Christian. He's actually an apostle. He's given the Holy Spirit in such measure that when he says something, it is literally, thus saith the Lord. I am an ambassador with such authorization that if I write it to you, you can put it in the Bible. That's a big deal. So he is an apostle, and he establishes that in chapter 1, and he also reminds them of the nature of his message, that it's not just some little trite, moralizing thing to help them do better, be better, whatever, but it's in fact the cosmic gospel that God has planned before the very foundations of the earth to redeem and restore all of humanity and creation to the praise of His glory and grace. Amen. All right. Thank you. That's exactly what we're talking about, the gospel. It's a big deal. It is cosmic in scope. And he goes hard at it in the first couple chapters. You see that word appear over and over and over again. Good news, good news, gospel, good news, gospel. And then... He runs into this fellow by the name of Peter, the guy we think is, you know, the chief apostle and the great Saint Basilica, whatever. And the Apostle Paul is like, I confronted this dude to his face. I let him have it because he was so far off. It had to be addressed. And so in their confrontation, Paul sort of um, outlines the specifics. It's not just a personality or a a leadership issue or a communication difference or whatever, but in fact, it is the very nature of the message itself. What is it we're all about? 
This is what it is. And if you get this right, you're on your way to heaven. And if you don't, you're in big trouble. We've got to be clear on this. And so the apostle goes straight to the heart of the issue and addresses Peter with the nature of his behavior, saying, does your behavior match the nature of our message? Does your character line up with the gospel? If so, great. If not, Peter, it needs to change. So chapters 1 and 2 go like that. Now we move into the last part of chapter 2, and it's sort of continuing that theme or that flow or that dialogue And as a result, what's happening is he's saying, okay, given our confrontation, given our fight, given given what we just went through, what is the next step from there? How do we move forward? Peter, I have addressed the issue. Now let us move forward together in faith. So continuing that dialogue then, he's going to sort of sum up his argument. And this section then... Verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2 in particular is really the message of the whole book. Previously, he's given you the history going into it. Now he's saying, here's the main point. It's come to the head. It kind of builds, 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 and it climaxes in the middle, and then it comes down back the other way. But right here in the middle of the book, this is the main point. And his point is this, is that everything, here's, here's the theme for today. Here's the theme of this book. Here's the point of this passage. Here is the Apostle's message to the people in Galatia and to the people in Midland. Here is the theme. It is all by grace through faith. Everything, all of it, the whole kit and caboodle from start to finish, it is all by grace through faith. So it's not by works, it's not by the law, it's not by circumcision, it's not by religion, it's not by anything else. How you are made right with God, how you are forgiven for your sins, how you grow to become more like Christ, and how at the end of the day God redeems this fallen creation is all the same. It is all by grace through faith. The whole thing from start to finish is by grace through faith. Okay, very good. So, another way you could say it is salvation is by grace through faith, or God saves us by grace through faith. But what I've realized as I go through this uh, passage for today is I'm going to use a lot of sort of churchy terms. I'm going to say things like gospel, I'm going to say things like faith, I'm going to say things like grace, I'm going to say things like justification. And If you've been in church for a while, some of those terms might just go, whew, yeah, those are cute. You know, we named our kids those things because we found it in the Bible. It's a nice name. Sounds pretty. But what does it mean? What is faith? What is grace? What is this intangible, ethereal sort of mystical halo floating above our heads that we Christians sort of tiptoe and dance around but don't even know what it actually is. How do I live this stuff? How does it make a difference in my life? I'm a long way removed from the first century. I'm not struggling with circumcision or whatever. How does this influence or impact me? And in a lot of ways, that's what I hope to do for you today is say, hey, look, let's look at these terms. So before we even get into this chapter, I'm going to walk it back just because I don't want you just to speed through it and go, oh, grace. Yeah, great faith. Got it. What? 
So we're going to stop, and before we even go too much further, we're going to say, okay, it's all by grace through faith. Blah, what is grace? What is faith? So here's the structure we'll follow for today. Uh, it's all by grace through faith. And what we're going to ask then, well, what is grace and what is faith? And then today's passage is really the first step in that movement or that progression, and that is justification. We'll talk about that. It's a big word, but it's something you're probably familiar with. But it's the first step in this salvific or this saving or fixing process. So grace, faith, and justification. Justification is really the stuff that Paul's going to define in Galatians chapter 2, what we're looking at today. But before we get there, I want to tell you what grace and faith is first. Because the apostles using these terms kind of in a way for these, some of these people for the first time. So he gets to define them and, they, and that's what they mean. But we've heard them so long, we automatically just assume we know what they mean. But a lot of times we don't. So what then do we do or how should we proceed? Well, Romans tells us, just like I was trying to say a minute ago, here's, here's the process. This whole thing, all of it, the righteousness of God, for therein the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's all by grace through faith. This is the way it was from the very beginning, even in the Old Testament. You don't realize this. You assume law means works. But really what law meant was faith in God's promises that the works would work. (laughs) That this system that he set up would actually be effective. So the just, Habakkuk says, will live by faith. And that's what Paul quotes. He's like, look, even in the law, the people who are justified were justified by faith. Hebrews chapter 11. Why? Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. This is another Pauline letter or letter written by Paul says for by grace you have been saved that's what saves you that's the driving force through the instrumentation or through this vehicle called faith and look this is not of your own doing any more than circumcision is it is the gift of God not a result of your works Because if it were, then you could brag about it. But it's not. So that no one may boast. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So in other words, like we've been saying, it's all by grace through faith. By grace through faith. By grace through faith. So what is grace? Well, it's basically the opposite of a Boy Scout badge. Grace is the opposite of a Boy Scout badge. Well, what is a Boy Scout badge? It's a merit badge. Right? You you, you do something. You know, you've got to... Move through these various stages or progressions of development. You've got to tie these knots or you've got to help this elderly person or you've got to swim this way or you've got to do whatever, build a fire. I don't know. You've got to move through this system in order to earn this rank. And God is saying it's actually the exact opposite. There's no system. There's no rank. You're all the same. You are sinners. <laughs> Congratulations. I am God. You're not. Blah. The end of the story. You can quote me on that. Blah. All right. That's it. It stops there. But the thing is, is God in his grace, his unmerited favor, loves us even though. But. Some of the best verses in the Bible start with but. When they say, but God, you sin. 
but God. You messed up, but God. You don't deserve it, but God. The best verses start with but. And grace is a great big but, okay? It is the fact that you don't deserve anything at all. That God has no need of you. And I would really love to just rub it in all morning. <laughs> but the reality is, unless you dis- understand the depth of your depravity, you can't understand the height of his grace. If you think you're somewhat okay, then it's no big deal that he came after you because you're kind of attractive, actually. And anyone in their right mind would. But the reality is, is God says, you're not attractive at all. You're completely sinful. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. And there's nothing attractive in you that would draw me to you. I have no reason for coming to you. If I wanted to, I could completely destroy the whole universe that I made. It's mine. I built the Lego tower. I can smash the Lego tower. I don't care. It's mine. I don't need it. The only reason it's here is for my pleasure. It is to bring me glory. That's us. But when you don't, you completely defeat your own purpose. So why are you here? If that's where it ends, God could just say, blah, let us destroy it. We'll make a new one. No big deal. It takes nothing from me. But the reality is, is that even though we merit, we deserve, we have earned destruction, God chooses to love us. He favors us even though. Why? I don't know. It's unmerited. We don't deserve it. I can't point to anything that says, yeah, this is it. You earned it here. I deserve it. No. It's the exact opposite. It's called grace. It is unmerited favor. It's not a merit badge. It's a scarlet letter. We sit there and we say, whoa, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't deserve it. We deserve to get it. Do you really want God to be fair? I don't think so. I really don't think so. You don't want to pray that God is fair. You want him to be gracious. And gracious, in a true biblical sense, by the way, let me be clear about this. It doesn't mean he overlooks faults and just ignores them. That's called unjust. And God cannot be unjust. So it puts him in this awkward position, which we'll explain in a little bit. But the reality is, what you want is not to be punished for what you did. But God is just, and so he must. So what do we do? We're in a bad way, yet God loves us, yet he must be just. What then is going to happen? Well, that's where faith comes in. What is this intangible, ethereal thing we call faith? You know, we talked about grace. Grace is unmerited favor. If you're taking notes, you can write it down. It just means unmerited favor. Opposite of a Boy Scout badge. Grace is God likes you even though. He likes you. He loves you. He favors you. So what then is faith? Well, faith is this vehicle or means or instrument that he's going to use to bring about his redeeming work. It is a means, okay? It is not... um, it is not a work, but instead it is a means. So let me, let me give you four things which I think will aptly put some substance behind the word faith that you can say, okay, now I can hang my hat on that. Here's what faith is. Okay, so first of all, faith is a gift. I already quoted to you Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, but basically the idea is, you know, you are saved by grace through faith. It is a gift. 
Now, gift is a neuter pronoun there, or gift, there's some question about the relationship of the pronouns, and theologians debate, does this refer to our faith, does this refer to salvation, what does it refer to? How, the, how you answer that determines how you lean Arminian or Calvinist or whatever, and in our church we say that you are free to lean any way you want to. We are a free church, so we don't have to make a decision on that. But what we do have to believe is that you are saved by faith. And in that sense, faith then is a gift. It is not something you do. Here is a quote which I think begins it, begins to define this gift pretty well. It says, faith is a radical gift from God, never a mere human possibility. Faith is not an achievement any more than circumcision is. You know, you can't do faith. You can't work this up. This is not something you do. It is something that God gives you. Rather, faith then, real faith, is the evidence of the saving grace. Remember, grace is that thing that moves it forward. Manifested in the renewal of the heart by the Holy Spirit. In in other words, the reason you can believe is because God made you capable of believing. He gave you that gift. A gift is not something that you produce from yourself. Instead, it is something that comes from the outside. It is alien or foreign. You receive it. A gift is something that someone else gives to you. So faith should be thought of in that way. Not as something that, wow, look at me, I've got faith. No. Faith is something that God said, you know, why would you boast as though you did it? For what do you have that you haven't received? 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Nothing. I give it to you. Here is faith. Here is a gift. So if it is a gift, then here is this thing. You, okay, so number one is it's a gift. I received it. Number two, then, is not only is it a gift, but it is a gift based on something. It is based on content. There's real substance to our faith. Romans 10, verses 17, says it like this. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Here is the content or the substance of our faith. It's not just believing and believing. It's not just wishy-washing thinking. It's not, I hope I would have, you know, wish upon a star or whatever. But there is a real, categorical, undeniable, substantial truth behind this. And that is the Word of God. The Word of God is the substance of our faith. So, first of all, it is a gift that God gives to you. He says, okay, here's faith. Now he says, here's the... The stuff of your faith, but you're still kind of like, okay, so now I, I, I feel like I believe it, I, I, I see it, but I don't get it. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. So you have the gift, you have the substance, and now you need the agent. The thing that will illuminate it, make it come alive, ignite it, and bring it to life in you. So the Holy Spirit is actually kind of cool because he's, he's moving this process along the whole time. He's the one who gives you the faith. He's the one who inspired and wrote the Bible. And then he is the one who comes alongside of you, having given you this gift, having inspired the substance, and then goes inside of you and says, now let me show you what it means. Let me bring this to life in ways that you never would have 
thought or imagined before. I can illuminate the text. I will shine the light on it. And then you will begin to see. It's not just a historical document that is written in the sand. This is real, living, breathing, active words that you come into contact with. So you have a gift, you have a substance, and you have an agent. And now the fourth and final thing is Christ. Here's the thing about the Holy Spirit. There's all kinds of views about him, right? In his activity, what is of the Spirit. Within the broad brush of Christendom, you see all kinds of stuff. From like totally cold churches to rolling down the aisle, doing whatever you feel like churches. Bark like a dog, it's all good, you know? You got extremes on both ends. What is of the Spirit? Well, the Spirit's job, his primary job, is to shine the floodlight on Jesus Christ. He will always bring glory to Christ and never to himself. So if you ever see anything that is not bringing glory or directly pointing to Jesus, that's not of the Spirit. His job is always to point to Christ. So in this process, here's what you see. Here's here's an outline of these four points then. Faith is a gift. It is based on the content of Scripture. It is brought to life by the agency or work of the Holy Spirit. And its object is Christ. What is it focused upon? The Spirit takes the Bible that he wrote, helps it make sense to you, and then says, now if you look and follow the theme throughout the whole pages of this book, the whole thing is Jesus. From beginning to end, we're pointing to Christ. From the promises to Abraham, to the fulfillment in the New Testament, to the future in glory with God. It's all about worshiping at the, at the uh, feet of Christ. So faith then is this incredible thing, which is not just this imaginary you know, feeling, but instead it is a gift that you receive. It is based on the content of Scripture. It is illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And it's focused on Christ. It's real. It's concrete. It's not necessarily something you can touch, but in a sense it is with the Bible and other things. So faith is that. As a result, what happens then is we invite people to come to faith. We're not inviting them just to believe whatever they want. We want them to believe what's in the Bible. We want them to be led by the Holy Spirit. and We want them to focus on Christ. And when that happens, we say initially they have this initial experience. They come and they believe or trust for the first time. But also then we would expect that they have the continuing disposition. That they just didn't come forward and buy some insurance policy and add it to their shelf. Stick it up next to all the other gods. But instead they said, I reject all of that other stuff. I am now focused on Christ, the one and only, and believing what the scriptures say, following the lead of the Holy Spirit, I am betting the bank, I am risking it all on Him. It is all by grace through faith in Christ. In other words, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. The five solas. Here we go, according to scripture alone. And that's a big deal. And what I did is I just rattled off the theme of the Reformation. And we sat here in our comfortable shirts and nice seats with soft whatever. And we don't realize that, you know, a few hundred years ago, people were put up on stage, not to say that, but to be burned to death because of that very thing. 
that they thought, you know what? If I get a Bible in my own language and I read it, Jesus might actually speak to me. That I don't have to go through some intermediary and I don't have to say it in Latin. In fact, what I can do is go directly to the throne of God via my high priest, my one mediator, Jesus. And if I believe that, then I don't need anything else. I don't have to go through this ritual or this routine. I don't have to whip myself or buy indulgences or anything. Instead, I can just believe in Jesus and, in fact, be saved. And I believe that. And actually saying that puts me at risk, puts my family at risk, alienates me from the powers that be and causes me to live the rest of my life on the run. Welcome to the Reformation. And I get to stand up here this morning because of those heroes of the faith and talk to you comfortably in a pair of jeans and a microphone and say, hey, (laughs) by grace through faith. And it's easy for me to do that because somebody else died so that I could do that. And not just died in a nice way, you know, but was burned at the stake, buried, got their bones exhumed, spit on, defecated, whatever. And that was their lot. But here I am on Sunday morning. That's a big deal. We in the free church say something like, if I get it right, you know, in in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, charity, in all things, Christ. This thing that we're going to talk about next, justification by faith alone, is an essential. This is something you should be willing to go to the hill and die for because he went to the hill to die for you. This is a big deal. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. By grace through faith. By grace through faith, big things happen. Noah escapes the flood. Abraham starts a nation. Joseph gets out of slavery and ascends to supremacy. Moses conquers Pharaoh. Armies are put to flight. Promises are obtained. A baby is born. Fish and loaves are multiplied. And death is swallowed in victory. By grace, through faith. We, church, absolutely must stop saying, I can't, and start saying, God can. Our message is not, believe in yourself. And it'll happen. Our message is, you can't, but God can. By His grace, through the faith that He gives us, transformation and change is possible. Confidently believing, hoping, trusting, and acting on our belief in Him. That is real faith. We have to be clear about that because so many times in Christian circles we think faith is intellectual assent. I believe. Done. But the Bible never speaks of it that way. It always shows you people who are in odd positions that God comes to and says, this, you will think this is never going to work. In your own power, this cannot happen. But I'm asking you to do this, and I want you to try, and then when you fail, I'll make sure it does, and then that will make it clear that I'm actually the one who did. <laughs> That's what I want. So too in our salvation. We can't do it. We believe that God will. We try, we fail. And then when he comes in and fixes us, it shows us very clear that he's the only one who can. By grace through faith. 
So now we get to Galatians chapter 2. This is what moves it forward, this vehicle of grace and faith. Grace is the thing that is driving it, and faith is the vehicle that accomplishes it in our hearts. So if you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn there. I won't take you know the rest of your afternoon to do this. It shouldn't take too long, hopefully. But here is, here is Galatians chapter 2. And when you hear grace and you hear faith and you hear justified, I want you to hear some specific things. In context, of course, it's, it's you know, circumcision, non-circumcision. But the real issue is faith and grace. Galatians chapter 2, verses 15 through 21, says this. Now, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet, even we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now look, if our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Of course not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to Christ or to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Okay, what in the world is going on there? Well, it's basically this. Uh, Paul is putting himself in Peter's shoes. He's saying, okay, look, if you want to make this case for circumcision, even we Jews who are circumcised, even we know that's not going to work. We've tried it for the last 2,000 years, and while there's been some progress made, we're still stuck. And ultimately, we're realizing that God has called us to absolute perfection, and this can't be accomplished through the law. The law is not enough. So how then, if it doesn't work for us, who are God's chosen people, given the covenant, given the promises, given the law, given the prophets, if we've got everything going, how in the world is it going to work for someone who doesn't? That's crazy. Come on, Peter. There is no way we want to try going back to that system. In other words, if I rebuild what's been torn down, I'm wasting my time. Now, this has not happened to me yet, let me assure you. (laughs) But I'm just using a super hypothetical hyperbole illustration. Let's imagine that someone, and I know this has happened, okay, so this is a good thing to others, right? But let's imagine one has paid off their mortgage, okay? Giant, a small step for male, giant leap, big deal. You paid off your mortgage. You know, you've been working on this thing for 30 years or whatever, boom, it's paid off. And you're at this point now where the mortgage is paid off and all of a sudden you're like, okay, now what am I going to do? Because that monthly premium is all of a sudden freed up and I can reinvest it or I can give it away or I can go out and play or whatever I want to do. But I am free. Why in the world would you go back to paying that mortgage? Why would you ever pay that mortgage again? 
That's crazy. Yeah, I got it paid off bank, but by the way, I just, I'm so used to paying it. I really like that monthly, you know, obligation and that debt hanging over my head that I think I'm going to do that for the rest of my life. It's so fun not to have any money to spend, but instead to give it to you. (laughs) What? Is that really what you want to do? And yet, the apostle says, if you go back and try to do the law, that's exactly what you're doing. If you think you can earn your salvation, if you think you can do some fancy work, it's like going back and trying to rebuild this thing that's been torn down. You're trying to pay off an old mortgage that doesn't exist. Christ completed and fulfilled the law. The mortgage note is shredded. Why would you go back to doing it again? You're now free. You're totally and completely free to live by God's grace. And if that, amen. And if that's the case, why go back? That would be crazy. You have been freed up to live for the glory of God. As a result of Jesus Christ's perfect work on the cross, what has happened is this you have been justified. Justification, here you go, here's that last term. Justification is the legal and forensic process whereby God, in His grace, declares the sinner righteous on the basis of their faith. What happens is this. You owed a debt, right? Sin. The wages of sin is death. Okay, You can't pay that because you're not perfect. And so you come before the judge. And here's what's kind of funny. In our court system, when you go before the judge, he's basically left with a couple different options. Guilty, not guilty. Guilty, here's your sentence. Not guilty, you go free. Here's how we're going to work it. But in the court of heaven, there is a tremendous difference in the sense that God can say, okay, you are all guilty. Everybody here is a sinner. The wages of sin is death. You've earned it. You are guilty. There's no getting around it. But even though you are guilty, God sits even above the law such that he can say, not guilty. God can declare the guilty innocent. How in the world does he do that? Isn't that completely antithetical and mutually exclusive? Does that work in any way whatsoever? How can the guilty be declared innocent? What happens is this. There's this another term. Here you go. It's called imputation. Imputation. Justification is a result of imputation. Okay? So justification is a declaration of imputation. What God does is says, okay, you're guilty. Jesus is righteous. You're condemned. He's not. But because he paid your price, he paid off that mortgage, he paid the debt, he died, he paid the wages, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your guilt, your sin, your debt, and I'm going to impute it or put it on him, and I'm going to switch that and take his righteousness, his holiness, his goodness, And put it on you. Now this swap. This exchange. This transaction. Is the key to your righteousness and salvation and redemption. Because God has imputed your sin to Christ. And his righteousness to you. You can be saved. And not only can you be saved. But God can also be just. That's how Romans 3 explains it. You know he's. 
he's talking about everyone's condemned and we quote that. But look, here's the whole process. The righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. You don't need that old mortgage. Why? Well, here's why. The righteousness of God now comes through faith in Jesus Christ, the object for all who believe. For there is no distinction. You know, there's not Jew and Gentile, circumcision, uncircumcision. Doesn't matter. For everyone is sent. You're all guilty, even if you're circumcised. And fallen short of the glory of God. But you are justified, you are made righteous by grace, there it is again, as a gift, there you go, through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, the object, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that's a payment, by his blood to be received by faith. This is what happens then. It shows, this was to show God's righteousness so that he can be both just and justifier. That he can be both the God who says you're guilty and you're not guilty at the same time and be 100% right because he made it happen. He forgives you on the basis of Christ, the object of your faith. Thus, because of imputation, there is justification. And because of justification, salvation. Does that make sense? Okay, if you have questions, email me. I will try my best to answer that. But here is the thing. We have a declaration of independence. Christianity is a declaration of imputation. The main point of this book is that salvation is by grace through faith. You can't do it yourself. God did it for you. In other words, what I said at the very beginning, in simple terms, it's all by grace through faith. At the end of the day, it is all by grace through faith. That is why Paul says, you know, I died to the law. That old relationship is cut off. I'm done with that. Why? So that I can live to God. That mortgage is over. It's paid. Now I am free. And because of that, I can use this new energy, this new life, everything I have for God's glory. Why? Because I have been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live right now, I live in the flesh, yes, but I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself on my behalf. We as a New Testament church are a new people. We're a new nation. We are the created order that God has established to redeem the world. Yeah, there's a lot of other big deals out there. There's all kinds of parachurches and helpful you know, humanitarian organizations. But we are the church. We are the thing that has been entrusted with the gospel of Jesus Christ to redeem the world. That's a big deal. We are this new people, the chosen people, the created order of God. As such, in us, what you should see is the triumph of grace from first to last, beginning to end. God wins. We are sinners set free by God's amazing grace. So, church, here's my encouragement to you. Here's your brief application in the last two and a half minutes. How does that work? Well, everything you've talked about is happening in the heart. And yet at the same time, I think that's really key. Because in our world, especially in 
North America, where you see uh, highly advanced, developed, relatively civilized, at times, industrial nation, what happens is we may not be necessarily in the midst of physical conflict, but we are always in the midst of spiritual conflict. There is tremendous war going on, both seen externally and unseen, particularly in our lives. I think the real fight is the one that's going on right up here and in here. This, I think, is why you see you know, all these emotional you know, disorders and spiritual battles, etc. Now, I understand there's physiological things and chemicals in the body, etc. I get that. I'm not saying go away from medical science. But what I am saying is that the reality is, is there is a battle that is going on that we have, our eyes are not privy to. And I think this is the real fight for today. So, for example, you'll see things like, for example, in my life, uh, Sunday night, I may struggle with discouragement. I mean, I just feel dark. I've got the post-preach blues, okay? You come on Sunday morning, you're all fired up, you're given the word, and then you go home and you're like, blah, <laughs> done. Worked all week long, did my very best to give it this. And did it work? Did it make a difference? Did anybody hear anything I said? Are we just going about our weeks the regular way? And boom, next day it all starts again. Oh, discouragement and i gotta fight that because i walk through the hallways and i see toys you know laying on the floor and i want to kick them you know and i see you know marks on the wall and i'm like you know and everything amps up that much more because that discouragement bug has gotten in what's happened i stopped living by grace through faith i'm no longer believing in christ the victor do i really think that the sermon or the church depends on me what kind of fool is that Did God deliver Egypt by some amazing Moses? No, the guy couldn't even talk. He was scared to death to go in front of anybody were it not for his little friend Aaron. Do I really get so arrogant and foolish to think that God's success depends on me? Of course not. So why am I looking at my success? Because the devil wants to shift the focus from God to me. And if I do that, and all of a sudden, guess how I feel? Discouraged. (laughs) So I'm not winning all the time. I feel like I'm losing most of the time. But if I shift my focus, the object of my faith is not me and my ministry. The object of my faith is Jesus. We already said that, didn't we? The object of our faith is Jesus. If I look at Jesus, how do you think I feel? Victorious. You know, encouraged. He died for me, it says, on my behalf. How is that? I didn't deserve it. Wow, what amazing grace. God actually loves me? Whoa. He's going to win. He's going to make it right. And even though I don't see it now, I believe it by faith. And so this faith impacts me as the non-winner when I look at the real winner. This faith impacts me. It helps me fight these spiritual and emotional battles that I go through every single day. It changes my outlook and perspective, and as a result, it'll change how I interact with other people. If I'm interacting from the perspective of, oh man, this is... How is that going to come across? That way every time. But if I'm interacting from the perspective of, man, Christ is one, Christ has forgiven me, then I can forgive you. And I can forgive me. And I can actually openly and freely confess my sins to you because I know they're already forgiven. 
If my forgiveness depends on what you think of me, I'm in trouble. <laughs> you may or may not forgive me. But if I base my self-worth and my value on what Christ has done, then I realized I'm treasured, I'm loved, I'm forgiven. And I could say, yeah, I'm sorry, I messed that up. I sinned. But Jesus will forgive me, even if you don't. <laughs> I'm good with that, hopefully. Sometimes I'm not. But I should be. And that's the goal, to focus on Christ and his forgiveness. And if he's forgiven us at the end of the day, that's all that matters. At the end of the day, there's only one opinion that matters. And I really have to believe that. And that's hard. So I come in a different context every day and different people want different things. And I can't give both. They're mutually exclusive. So what do I do? I've got to believe by faith in Christ and what he did for me. And then trusting in that, I try to do what I could never do on my own. And if I fail and mess up, I say, well, I messed up. But God already forgave me. And he justified me. And he'll fix it even though I didn't. So believe in God, but don't believe in me. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to scripture alone, for the glory of God alone. Father, you're so good. We praise and worship you. You're good and we're not. You're God and we're not. Sometimes we uh, think that we can do stuff, almost pretending to be God. Like we can be in two places at once. Like we know everything. Like we can control the outcome. Foolish thinking is that. Lord, I pray in the midst of our struggles that you take the focus off of us and help us to believe in you. Stop saying I can't. Start saying, I can, by believing according to Scripture, by the power of the Spirit, and the truth of your word, and the glory and majesty of your Son. In whose name we pray, amen.